Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good evening. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We've been walking our way through the book of Galatians. We're now in chapter 6, so let's read God's Word. Dear brothers and sisters, If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. (laughs) Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you. God, that you are here in this place. Thank you for the gift of being able to gather Lord, I pray that everyone in here, they'd receive from you the word that they need to hear, Lord, that uh, they'd walk out of here energized, uh, walk out of here with their burdens a little lighter, with just a little clearer picture of who you are, filled up with a little bit more peace and hope and love and joy. God, we thank you, again, just for your son's birth that we're going to celebrate here at Christmas time. Thank you for entering into our chaos and our mess and just our brokenness and being the Savior that we needed. In your name we pray, amen. You can take a seat. On Thursday of this week, I had the largest and perhaps best egg roll I've ever had in my life. Uh, It's a little place uh, in like Crystal New Hope area. Uh, if you want to know the name of it, come talk to me afterwards because I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, but what happened was there's a number of us pastors and we get together on a pretty regular basis, uh, a bunch of us in the same denomination and converge. And so we were down at Cornerstone Church in Crystal and the pastor Jeremy, he's from California and he's like, hey, there's this Thai place and it's like the best egg rolls in the world. We could order from there or we could do this or this. And the rest of us were like, you stop. You had us at the best egg rolls in the world. So let's, let's order that for lunch. And we did. And these things were seriously the size of Andrew's arm. Um, these are giant egg rolls. And they were so, so good. And, and we enjoyed a good time of, of food and conversation. And, and as we talked, we were just kind of sharing, uh, you know, the beautiful things that God is doing in our churches. We were talking about our mission, vision, values with each other. And then we are also just kind of sharing, like, like the hard things of pastoring, of just the Christian life and all those things. And, and, and as we talked, I just started sharing a little bit like, you know, one of the challenges 
of pastoring in this day and time is, you know, our church is still roughly half the size we were pre-COVID. And, and, and that's, that's, that's hard. There are days where I think, how can God be as satisfied in me when my church is half the size it used to be? Now, in my head, I, be- I know that's not right, but I-, I struggle to believe that because I-, I believe that my worth is based on what I do, not who I am or whose child I am. That- so it was good just to kind of share this. So I said, but what the interesting thing is, I actually love my church more now than I did pre-COVID. <laughs> and-, and actually now, when I look out, and I say, okay, our mission is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I see more disciple makers in my church now than four, five, six years ago. And so this tension, right, of like, how do you measure success? How do you measure success in a church? How do you measure success in a life, in a business? Is it pure numbers is it always one metric up and to the right? Or is the kingdom of God a little different? Is the math a little bit different? When I look at the life of Jesus, I think, here's someone who would preach and gather crowds of thousands. And yet at the end of his ministry, he really had 12 close friends and maybe 120 people meeting in the upper room. Where are the other thousands? Did Jesus fail as a, as, a, as a religious teacher? He grew his church from 3,000, 5,000 to 120? <laughs> you know, like, again, I think math is different in the kingdom of God. And so what, what I want to explore tonight is how do you measure the success of a church? How do you me- measure success in the kingdom of God just in our life, uh, in, in every aspect, that perhaps God's math is a little bit different than our math? So how do we become a church that is spirit-led, that is walking by the Spirit? In Galatians 5, Paul talked about this. Hey, be led by the Spirit. Walk by the power of the Spirit. And then out of your life will overflow this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? That's what we want. So, So how do we get that? Well, in the New Testament, Jesus came. He died on the cross. He rose again. He blessed the, the early church, and, and the church was born. In the New Testament, people were not just kind of vaguely aware of the Holy Spirit. Either they had received him or they had not. And when the Spirit came upon them, they knew it, and everyone else around them knew it too. See, the gathered church is the place where the presence of the Holy Spirit should be evident. We are expected to be a Holy Spirit-filled community, that the very real tangible presence of the Holy Spirit should be a non-negotiable for churches. So what does that look like? I think some people would define it as, you know, uh, tambourines, you know, people playing tambourines and flags and speaking in tongues and and dramatic things like that. Some people would feel it as, you know, we define it as just a feeling during worship. Some people might just define a Holy Spirit-led church as, you know, hundreds of baptisms. Whatever, we can have different, like, definitions, right? But I think the important thing is saying, hey, we want to be a church where the Holy Spirit is real and tangible and we're being led by it, amen? 
There's a pastor that I, I, I don't know personally. I've, I've read some of his works. His name is Terry Virgo. Uh, he's a pastor in England. And uh, in, in England, they have a slightly different kind of movement uh, than even here in America, where they have these contemplative charismatic churches that are very much into talking about, hey, you know, Sabbath keeping and, uh, you know, fasting and prayer and these different things, while also being very, very spirit-led, being very charismatic. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is be in that stream. There's a number of churches, and Terry Virgo is one of those. And he kind of writes about their, their journey of, you know, people kind of leaving the Church of England and, you know, and kind of that more traditionalism, and then their church slowly beginning to walk more in the Spirit. And here, here's how he put it. He said, as we began to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit, and one by one, a congregation of believers became filled with the Holy Spirit, our church life was transformed. Our worship became full of God's presence and virtually unrecognizable compared with what we had previously experienced. The presence of the Holy Spirit changed everything, not only the life of each individual, but in our corporate experience. As we more and more felt the presence of God, we began to understand that we were fully accepted sons and daughters by grace. When I read that, I think that's what I want. That's what I want for our church, to be a church that is more and more led by the Holy Spirit, that we have the fruit of the Spirit pouring out of us, that as we gather and worship, people sense God is moving in this place. Amen? That's what we want, right? Well, last Sunday, we looked at how Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. But what does it mean to live a life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? To have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Well, I think... Paul's audience, and I think us today, would prefer to have some kind of mystical, just kind of spiritual experience, but it comes a bit of a shock that Paul actually then now starts to talk about very down-to-earth, practical subjects, personal relationships, and how we deal with money, things like that. And, and he measures spirituality by how we take action in these areas. See, it's easy just to talk about the fruit of the Spirit while doing very little about it, actually. So Christians, we need to learn that it is in the mundane, everyday situations rather than in just the emotional highs that the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives is demonstrated. The first situation Paul's going to talk about more than anything else reveals the real character and spiritual maturity of a believer. What happens when one believer learns that another believer is trapped in some kind of sin? Does he just overlook that sin? Is that the loving thing to do? Well, I don't want to judge I don't want to, you know, come down on him. Does showing love just ignore it? Do you expose that sin openly, you know, and like, hey, bam, you know, this is your sin, and, and then you feel more spiritual than the person who's struggling? Perhaps there's a third way. Well, here's what Paul writes in 6, chapter 1. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly Help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into that same temptation yourself. All right, the first thing, you might look at that and say, okay, Paul's writing to those who are godly. Well, that's clearly just an elite class of Christians. No, no, I don't think so. This applies to all of us. Those who are godly are those who are living and walking according to the Holy Spirit. I think if you have made the commitment to follow Jesus, if you have gotten baptized, if you have been walking with him for a little while, this is you. I think often we want to kind of exclude ourselves out of this, but most of us would fall in this category of the godly ones. And, and, and Paul is saying that we have some responsibility to those in our community with us, 
See, here's the thing. We are not just casual friends attending the same church, the same worship service. We are blood brothers and sisters in covenant with God and one another. Amen? And therefore, we have more of responsibility than someone who just steps into a movie theater to take in some kind of show. See, we're going to arrive at the maturity God has planned for us only as we encourage, exhort, and admonish one another. On Thursday, as we talked about kind of why do our churches exist, one of my friends, Phil, he talks a lot about, uh, they have a similar-sized church to us in Brooklyn Park. And I love the language he uses a lot, and we kind of were diving into it. Just, you know, uh, it, it, it's welcoming strangers who become friends, who become like family. And we were talking through that more and more. And, and, and really, I think that is also the beauty of a smaller church. Because our goal is to help people who are strangers, perhaps who have nothing in common other than the gospel, we become friends, we start to hang out, we have common experiences, right? You know, uh, all church retreats, we hang out Monday nights watching football, these different things we do to ultimately become family that is living on mission to help people love God, serve others, and make disciples, right? The goal is to be a family. That's what Paul talks about. That's the New Testament talks so much about the church as a family. What that means, though, is we have to be a healthy family, Right? In healthy families, there's good conflict. In unhealthy families, we just kind of shove it aside and we don't talk. But see, the mature believer, the godly person, those who have been walking with Christ, it's called to restore the person who has fallen into sin. And, and, and the Greek verb here, I don't like to go into the Greek a lot, but what Paul uses here, it's a medical term for setting a fractured bone. What's wrong in the life of the fallen Christian needs to be set straight it can't be neglected or exposed openly. But Paul says it must be done gently and humbly. What does this look like? Someone's in your community group, and as you hear them talk, you realize they just mention every night at bed, I can't fall asleep until I have my glass of wine. Right? Is this sin? I don't know. You start to pray about it. Then you ask God, do I need to confront this person in my community group? Say, hey, I'm noticing this pattern in your life. I think this is something that's an unhealthy crutch, and I'm worried where this is going to lead you. Maybe, again, someone in your, you're doing life with in your Bible study, in your community group, you, you hear something. You know, um, they, ha- they have a best friend of the opposite sex, and they start you know, hanging out a lot. They go on trips together. What do you do? Do you ignore it or do you say, hey, I'm concerned for you? Now, again, what Paul is saying, though, is humbly, gently to lovingly correct that person. Because a lot of us, we have blind spots in our life we don't see. But as believers, we're called to confront these things. Not to be mean, right? But saying, hey, this is a broken bone. If it doesn't get set properly and get back to where it's supposed to be, it's going to cause some serious damage down the road. So that's the first thing. So how do we become a Holy Spirit-led church? Well, simply, it's, it's gently confronting sin. In a real way, just saying, hey, here's something I'm concerned about. Now, you have to be in, in, in community with each other to do this. You don't just call out someone you don't know, right? Um, I, heard, I heard an actor talk. I think it, it might have been Tom Holland who plays Spider-Man. But he said, basically, he's like, like, if you don't have my phone number, like, don't call me out. But if, if you have my phone number and you can text me, then yeah, come on, let's have this. It's like, that's, a, that's a good, right? Like, we don't want to, like, publicly call out someone else. 
But if you're in a relationship with them, take that scary step. And it's, it's hard. And I, let me be honest. In eight years pastoring this church, there's been times I've blown this. There's been times when I know I should have called out someone's sin, and I didn't. You know what? That's on me. And it's like, I'm learning, I'm growing in this, because it's not fun. It's not pleasant to do. And some of those people, their lives did blow up. And I'm not saying it's all on me, but I'm learning to walk in this, right? This isn't me. I've got this all figured out. This is not pleasant. This is not fun. But gently confront sin. Number two, what does Paul say? He says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. I love Paul's words here. He just calls it straight, right? Uh, it, it, this is the New Living Translation. The NIV says, bear each other's burdens. So whatever you want to write down, share each other's burdens, bear one another's burdens. The goal, again, is if we're strangers who turns into friends, turns into family, what a healthy family does is we bear, we share each other's burdens. That means, Paul writes elsewhere, we grieve with those who are grieving. We celebrate with those who are celebrating. Right? We, we step into where our family is at and say, okay, hey, what are you carrying right here? In little tangible ways, it's Kristen reaching out to Katie, who's had a hard week, and say, can I drop off some flowers and some groceries for you this week? It's Amber letting us know, hey, can I pick up your kids this week because I know it's been a tough week and I can pick them up from, from school today. Bearing one of those burdens doesn't have to be these massive things. It can send a text saying, hey, I'm praying for you today. Here's what I prayed for you. It can be these little things, right? But again, this, that's the goal. How do we be a Holy Spirit-led church? It's not flopping around and doing kind of crazy Pentecostal things necessarily. Paul's saying, here's what we do. We gently confront sin. We share each other's burdens. And why is this important? Bearing one another's burdens is the supreme imitation of Jesus, the ultimate burden bearer to the point that he carried our sins to the cross. Right? At the Christmas time, we celebrate the coming of Jesus. Jesus, what did he do? He bore our shame, our sin, all our burdens on the cross. And now, as followers of Christ, if we want to be Holy Spirit-led, if we want to be like Jesus, we have to do that too. So it's looking for opportunities to say, in what unique way, hey, can I just share your burden a little bit? How can I come alongside of you and, and carry that load? You know, it's, it's someone who's carrying something heavy by themselves. Hey, can I get the door for you? You know, like, like it's the idea of like you're coming alongside and just helping carry this a little bit. It's not, um, uh, you know, just, just enabling someone, right? But it's coming along and sharing those burdens. Because no one should walk alone, amen? We should, we should be sharing together. Number three, so we share each other's burdens. Paul says, pay careful attention to your own work. For then, you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we're each responsible for our own conduct. Paul's saying, hey, you got to take some personal accountability, some personal responsibility. This is what my wife travels the country speaking on. And the importance of taking personal accountability, personal responsibility. She actually wrote a curriculum for churches to use called Specs and Planks. Uh, and it's based off the story that Jesus tells, hey, don't point out the speck in your brother's eyes without taking care of the log or the plank in your own eye. And this goes back to gently confronting sin. First, though, we also need to look and examine our own lives. Hey, 
what is it I'm struggling with? I need to deal with my own stuff, take care of my sin, take care of, pay attention to my own work, right? So we have the satisfaction of a job well done. We're responsible for our own conduct. This means not just blaming society or the government or the way your parents raised you or whatever it might be. Those can all be contributing factors for who you are today. But at the end of the day, we have to take personal accountability for who we are, right? And so Jesus says, hey, I'm going to walk with you through this. But part of it, we, we, we have to take personal responsibility and accountability for who we are. Number four. Paul says, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. All right, this is awkward to talk about because I'm a pastor. But hey, it's in the text. <laughs> Paul's saying, take care of your pastors. Those who are taught the word of God, that's y'all, should take care of those who teach the word of God. That's me, that's Amber, that's others in our community. That's, this is what Paul's saying, how to be a Holy Spirit-led church. Hey, it's taking care of your leaders. Again, it's awkward to talk about, but it's right here. When he's saying share all good things, he's talking about giving financially. Now again, many of you are super, super generous. But Paul says one of the ways we are spirit-led is how we deal with our money. Americans, we get weirded up by money, right? But few things more clearly disclose the priorities of the heart than how you spend your time and how you spend your money. We talk in the Green Book about, you know, if Christianity was outlawed, could they look at your checking account and your calendar, whether that's Outlook or whatever you use, and could they make a compelling case that you're a Christian and throw you away in prison. If they could look at your credit card and, and, and how you spend your money and how you spend your time, and they'd have a really hard time convicting you of being a Christian. I don't want that to fill you with shame, but perhaps to re-examine some priorities in your life. Paul's saying, we want to be generous. Now, part of that is taking care of your pastors, that's in the text, just giving generously to God. He's saying, because what we, what, we, what we sow, what we plant, we will reap back. Here's how Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, that's your money, your wealth, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 2 Corinthians 9. Now again, please hear me. This isn't like, give more money to the church so the pastors can have more money. No, no, no. My heart for you as your pastor is that you live a generous lifestyle. That you don't have the assumption that everything that comes into your hands financially is for your own consumption or for your kids' own consumption. This is a great time. We've been talking about this in our community group. We've been encouraging one another. Hey, you know, uh, when, you're, when you're out to eat at a coffee shop or you order 
you know, uh, your groceries or whatever it might be. You have an opportunity to tip, hey, just tip a little over and above, right? And we're going to share some stories, like, how can you be generous? Uh, again, there are so many good things to give to. Now, I examine the scriptures. I think your first fruits, whatever that looks like for you, should go back to your local church and then over and above that, give to other organizations. But Paul really says, as, you know, as the Holy Spirit leads you, cheerfully and abundantly give the way the Holy Spirit's leading you. Again, you're looking for good organizations, Compassion International, wonderful organization. Uh, World Vision, wonderful organization. Uh, again, there's lots of ones. The key thing here is allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in ways to be generous. And that's going to look differently for every single one of us. Again, generosity might be, you know, an extra $1 tip to that barista that you see occasionally at Starbucks. And you know, hey, man, that one extra dollar or two might really bless her at this Christmas season as she's struggling to, you know, maybe buy some gifts for some family members. Generosity for you might be a large check. I, I don't know. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But we, we want the Holy Spirit to also be in charge of our finances, our money, right? That's, that's the important principle here. As Paul's saying, to be Holy Spirit, it's to be generous. And again, that's going to look differently for all of us, right? My encouragement, though, is uh, if it's important, you'll automate it and you'll, you'll set it as a part of your budget, if, if, you, if you only wait to be generous on moments when you can be spontaneous, you won't be as generous as you can be, right? It's kind of like only going to the gym when you really feel like it. <laughs> You're not going to end up there very often. But if you say, no, this is my plan. I lay my clothes out the night before. I'm getting my workout in in the morning. You're more likely to do that. Same thing. If you want to be generous, look at your budget as you head into 2024 and say, what percent do I want to give? If the idea of even giving a percent is like super foreign to you, start somewhere and say, okay, this next year, we're going to give away 1%. Again, I'm not just saying to the church, just somewhere. Or 2% or 5% or 10%. Maybe you're to place 20%. I don't know what that is. But it's being proactive in it. Right? Like, Holy Spirit-led is being open to those spontaneous moments of generosity, of saying, hey, I think the Holy Spirit's saying, I need to cover that person's rent. You know, I, I need to, to, to pay for these car repairs. Hey, I need to drop off a meal, pay for some groceries. That's good. But also being Holy Spirit-led is also taking, hey, care of ourselves, right? Looking at our own budgets and, and setting that aside and, and, and being diligent in that, right? It's both. It's the spontaneous and the planned. And usually we lean one towards the other, right? We're good at being spontaneous or really good at being planned. I want to encourage you to grow in both. Last thing. Uh, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Mm, so good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. The last thing here is to live to please the Spirit. Paul says, live to please the Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We also live to please the Holy Spirit. I think when we gently and lovingly confront sin, that's pleasing the Holy Spirit. When we take care of our own stuff, 
And we take responsibility and don't just say, oh, it's because of the government or because of my parents, all these things, right? When we say, no, 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 this is who I am. This is my body. This is my life. This is my finances. This is my family. This is my church. I'm taking some responsibility. Put some weight on me. I can take this. That pleases the Holy Spirit. When we share each other's burdens, when we care for one another, that pleases the Holy Spirit. When we're being generous, when we're taking care of the leaders in the church, that is pleasing the Holy Spirit. So how, again, so how do we live to please the Spirit? It's these things. But I think it's more and more being aware of how the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives, what he's calling us to do. And Paul says, don't get tired of doing good. Don't give up. Here's the thing. Like, I can meet with other pastors and we can talk about church growth strategies and all these things. At the end of the day, like, I don't care so much about church growth as, like, church sustaining, right? I want a church to still be here in a year and two years and five years and ten years, right? I want my marriage to be intact. I want your marriage to be intact. I want your family to grow and flourish. I want us to not give up. I want us to keep doing good. I want us to stay in this. When I look at the life of our church and I say, how do you measure success? How do you measure the life of a spiritual community? Again, it can only come down to one number. Again, I don't think so. The ancient Celtic people called the Holy Spirit uh, the wild goose. And they'd say, following the Holy Spirit is like chasing a wild goose. And I love that mental imagery. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit leads here and here and there, and it's just like we don't always know, right, what's going on. A year ago, we had a, a Lutheran church reach out to us, potentially merging, right? Didn't work out. I was like, what's that all about? Like, that was weird, right? You guys are here. It was, it was weird. Thank you. Uh, but Fred and Linda were a couple uh, who were a part of leadership of that church. And when we're in this season of trying to discern, is this where you're leading the Holy Spirit? Are you not? For about a little over a year, year and a half, uh, Fred and Linda came every week to a small group of us who meet. At the time was Wednesday mornings, now Tuesday mornings, in prayer. Now, one, one thing you have to know about Linda, she really listens to the Holy Spirit, and she's had times in her life where people who have wanted to get pregnant haven't been able to, and she felt the Holy Spirit say, like, no, they're going to have kids, and Fred would be like, no, 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 you can't tell them that, like, right? Because like, going through infertility is, is really, really hard. And, and so they would gather with us for a, a little over a year. And there are a number of families in our church that were trying to get pregnant. And every week we'd pray, God, give them a baby. And one week, we're praying. And Linda's like, after, she's like, God said, one of them is going to have a baby next year. I was like, don't say that. (laughs) Right? And every week, we're praying for Ryan and Laura to get pregnant again. And she believed it was going to happen. And you know what? They're pregnant again and giving birth next year. Can we give God glory for that? Right? Did we go through all that just so Fred and Linda would come pray with us 
and pray for Ryan and Laura and they'd have a baby. I don't know. <laughs> but maybe. Years ago, we had a, a couple in our church and, and man, their life, they were a mess and prison and drugs and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And they were in our small group for a while, every Thursday night in our house. And, and we thought, okay, this, this, this is good, walking through it. He goes off the deep end again. Drugs, teen challenge. She finds out she's pregnant. She's like, I can't, I can't have this baby. I'm going to have an abortion. We convince her, don't kill this baby. And now, that little boy, Cam, is Christina's brother. And he's in kindergarten, homeschooled. And he comes here some Sundays. And every time I see him run around, I think, he shouldn't be alive today. But because the Holy Spirit led his mom, his birth mom, to our church, he's alive. For the past year, as we gathered in prayer, every week we'd pray for the Andersons that these two little girls, they were fostering, that they'd be able to adopt them. And there's some hiccups, some things that were like, ugh, is this not going to work out? And week after week after week, listening to the Holy Spirit, praying about it. Then this summer, celebrating with them for the official adoption and their dedication. Doesn't mean it's easy, but listening to the Holy Spirit, seeing those little girls' lives changed. And that all started with Matt and Lauren being open to the Holy Spirit, leading them to foster. We have other couples in our church who are praying about fostering. I love that. We, just, we believe, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to change different lives. See, I believe that's math in the kingdom of God. It's, there's a big difference between gathering a crowd and being a church, amen? And maybe in the past, Mosaic had a bigger crowd, but I believe in the, in the math of God. God is so happy and pleased with who we are now. Lives are changed. We're seeing miracles happen. As more and more of you step out into faith, as I see more and more of you grow, some of you started praying for the first time in your lives out loud. Some of you have never been in a community group ever and, and seeing you do that in uncomfortable ways. Maybe you've never been a part uh, of serving in a church on a worship team or in a kids' ministry, and now you're serving for the first time. Thursday mornings, there's a group of us, five, six guys, and we get together for Bible study, and I love it. And I want to have Talos or Eric give testimony about this sometime. But again, I just, this last Thursday, almost every Thursday morning, we meet at 7 a.m. We used to meet at 6.30, and I was like, that's just too early. But at 7 a.m., we meet, and uh, almost every week, I get up at 6 a.m. on Thursdays, I pop my contacts in my dry eyes, and I think, why am I doing this, and why do I think this is a good idea? Literally, it's been like two years of this. And then I get there, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why. And as guys, we've been going through the wisdom literature. We studied Job. Like, really? That's a terrible book of the Bible, I think. Uh, You know, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. But together as guys, it's so cool to hear guys be like, I've never read this book of the Bible before in my life. And now we get together, and we're discussing this, and we're praying for each other. And the cool thing is, 
a majority of us are in different community groups. So it's cool that we get to see each other. We don't see each other weekly in our community groups, but now we gather Thursday mornings in men's Bible study. On Wednesday mornings, there's like, I don't know, 9, 10, 11, 12, there's a lot, bunch of women, uh, moms that get together at, at Amber's house. And Troy's working there, and he says hi to the kids as they walk in. And a bunch of young moms and old moms <laughs> come together. And sometimes they do a craft. Sometimes they do a devotional. Sometimes they just support each other. Sometimes it's a pregnant mom walking in and being like, I can barely eat some Cheerios today. And I just, I just need some community today, right? But like it, it's living out the gospel. And that's because Amber took that step of faith, listening to the Holy Spirit to say, hey, I'm going to start this thing. That's what it means to be a community that's Holy Spirit-led. We're going to wrap up here in, in, real quick, and, and we're going to have time of prayer. The last thing I wanted to share, as we've been talking about how do we live to please the Spirit, how do we walk with the Spirit? Again, I kind of shared last week about my own wrestling with kind of the way I grew up in a charismatic tradition and kind of the Baptist world we kind of walk in now. But I just want to tell you my own personal story. I, I don't remember a time not believing in Jesus. Like, I grew up in a Christian home where this is just, we talked about Jesus all the time. Uh, my parents were volunteer worship leaders, uh, never got paid, just were volunteer for 15, 20 years uh, at the church. And when we moved from Iowa to Minnesota, we moved to Maple Grove, and uh, just down the road on County Road 30 here, uh, because uh, some family had won a house on a game show, and they were renting it, and so my parents moved into that house. Uh, it was like the only thing available. Um, my dad worked in Woodbury, and he thought Maple Grove was next to Woodbury. I don't know why he thought that. Uh, he was very confused. Uh, Maplewood, I'm sorry. He thought Maplewood and Maple Grove were the same thing. Uh, and uh, so we ended up Maple Grove, and we ended up at this church just down the road from here um, for 15 or so years. And that church, I was, I was taught the Bible. I was taught all about Jesus. But also, they talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. And the summer after my eighth grade year, I just remember having this feeling of like, God, I want more of you. Uh, I, was, I was heading into freshman year of, of high school, and at that time I decided, like, um, honestly, I want to spend more money on, like, comic books and Legos. And so I got a job. Uh, and so I started bagging groceries at, at 14 years old, and I'd bike to uh, Erickson's New Market, a grocery store in Plymouth. And this is my first time I went to a Christian school in middle school. And, but I was really interacting with a lot of kids who didn't know anything about Jesus. And I remember that summer going to camp. I like to do Bible camp. And, and it was one night where it just hit me. Like, God, I want more of you. God, I don't want to just play around. Like, there's got to be more. And in that moment, I had some encounter with God. And the tradition I grew up in would say that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I started speaking in tongues. And, and, and from that moment on, I just had a different desire and hunger for God. That summer, I read the Bible from cover to cover. Uh, and since then... Uh, I, I haven't gone a day or two without reading my Bible uh, in the last, you know, 30-some years. There was a hunger to tell people about Jesus. And at 14, starting to have conversations with the people I bag groceries with about who Jesus was. And ultimately leading me to want to be a pastor. And there were times when I would get alone with Jesus and I'd want to pray 
but I didn't know how the words to say. And that's when this heavenly prayer tongue uh, that I would use to speak and pray. I can't explain all the stuff that has to go with that, but I know it's real. And what I know is that however much you have of Jesus, you can desire more, and God has more for you. And so when the band's going to come up here, I just want to pray for you that, again, if you're at a place and you're like, I just want more of the Holy Spirit. I just want to be led more. I'm not going to pray that you start speaking in tongues or doing something weird. But I believe that's a good and holy desire to want more, to experience more of the Spirit, to walk more with, with him. I'm also going to be up here um, when the band plays a song, and uh, I believe God does heal. And if there's something in your life that you need some healing for, I want to pray for you. Just lay a hand on you and just, hey, I want to pray. And that could be emotional healing at this time of the year, going through some stuff, physical healing. I don't know what that is. Maybe you just need some discernment and some direction. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to take some time and just linger in God's presence a little bit at the end of our services. We're going to just try this for a couple Sundays and just kind of see how it goes. I know we're a bunch of Swedes and Norwegians and Baptists, but like we can just take some time to be with Jesus, right? Uh, I know the Vikings are playing, but who knows how they're doing. But like, let's just let's not be so hasty to get out of here. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have some time of just being with Jesus. And uh, the band's going to play a couple songs. Um, but band, you can come up, and I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you that you love us so, so much that you came, you're born of a virgin, you entered into our chaos and into our midst, and when you died and rose again, you sent your spirit to empower your church. So God, I just pray that those in this room, those who are watching online or watching later, those who want more of you, who want more of your Holy Spirit, that you would grant that desire. That they'd feel just closer to you. God, I pray for those who just need a word of wisdom, who are just struggling to know what to do Maybe it's in business or a family decision, or uh, maybe it's knowing how to confront someone who's in sin or how to bear someone else's burdens. God, I pray that you would give them, grant them that wisdom. God, I pray for those who are looking for a healing touch. Uh, God, we still have people in our church who are desperately praying to be parents someday. And God, I pray that you would grant them the, the desires of their heart. Lord, be with us right now as we just take some time to be with you, to slow down, to just connect with you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.